Nurse.com is proud to be a sponsor of the Ask Nurse Alice podcast. As the premier destination for nursing knowledge and resources, Nurse.com supports your passion for healthcare with an unrivaled collection of tools, articles, and courses tailored for the nursing community. Get your daily dose of things you need to know for your nursing journey. Discover the world of nursing like never before with Nurse.com. Empower your practice, advance your career, and enrich your knowledge. Nurse.com. It's your nurse life all in one place. You're listening to Ask Nurse Alice, presented by Nurse.org, where Alice Benjamin combines no-nonsense advice with thought-provoking interviews. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Ask Nurse Alice podcast, the show where we talk about anything and everything nursing and healthcare related. I'm your host, Alice Benjamin, clinical nurse specialist, family nurse practitioner, and chief nursing officer at Nurse.org. And so we're going to go ahead and jump in today's question. Uh, We had a caller who said that she was an experienced telemetry nurse, and now she was going to be transitioning to ICU, and they were looking for some advice so they could be successful in that transition. Hello, Nurse Alice. This is me. I'm so excited um, to have the question. I'm an experienced nurse who has worked on the telefloor and starting a new specialty in ICU transition program. I'm excited and scared at the same time. Uh, what advice did you have for me? So let me first say to anyone who's transitioning specialties. Now this person's going from tele to ICU. I've known tele nurses to go to OBGYN or med search nurses to go to ER, telemetry. Like you literally can go to any specialty you want. You literally can. There, I mean, That's one great thing about nursing. The opportunities are endless, right? They are. Uh, And sometimes we enter nursing in a particular specialty and it's kind of just where we start. It's where we start. We kind of learn the ropes, kind of get our feet wet, get settled, get some structure underneath us, get some exposure, experience under our belts. And we like to work where we feel comfortable. We like to work in places where... We know what we can expect. At least most of us do. If you're ER, ICU nurse, sometimes it's a little different. But for the most part, we like to know what we're getting into. So in this situation, it sounds like this nurse was working telemetry. Now, listen, I've had some pediatric nurses come and want to work in ICU and adult ICU at that. So like you can do whatever you want to do. You literally can. We've all passed the same RN and CLEX exam. We all can enter at as a nurse entry level into any specialty. It's the experience that goes beyond that, that really causes us to fine tune our knowledge, our skill set, and those type of things. And sometimes after you've been working in a place for a while, you might be ready to transition. Now, what I've seen, and for those of you who may not know, I worked in the hospital as a clinical nurse specialist for several, several years. I was actually Uh, CNS and critical care, cardiology to be more specific. And I was responsible for onboarding uh, new grads, new hires, and new to specialty training for those entering into critical care. Um, That was actually part of my thesis project when I did my first master's in nursing education at CNS. So that's my passion. So when I got this question, I was really, really excited. For anyone who's considering transitioning into specialties, let's take a moment, let's take a beat and say, okay, You're working where you work. So in this particular case, the nurse is working in telemetry. 
Sounds like they're an experienced nurse. They've been working for a while. So one, this is not a new nurse. So one of the things that we like about people who are transitioning specialties is someone who's experienced. Absolutely. You have some experience under your belt. Um, you've had some patient contact, patient exposure. You've likely had some very situations that where you've had to deal with difficult patients, difficult family members, difficult providers, difficult coworkers. For the most part, you should know how to start an IV, insert an NG tube, uh, know how to do documentation. Hopefully your telemetry, you should know how to read EKGs, right? Like there are some things that you're coming with that we're like, whew, good. This person has some basic experience under their belt. You should, for the most part, know how to do a general head to toe and do focused assessments. You're not afraid to wake up the patient out of their sleep to, you know, have some communication or to give them medications. You have some general understanding about medication delivery, the five rights and all of those things. So there are some things as experienced nurses, we're excited to have you when you're ready to change into a specialty, especially into our specialty where we need new nurses. Now, this is one thing I want nurses to consider before they decide to transition. So in this case, again, telemetry to ICU. Please, please, please. If you are considering transitioning, don't just transition because you are bored, quote unquote, bored on your unit. Because not all telemetry units are created equal. Actually, telemetry falls under the umbrella of progressive care. So under progressive care, you can have step-down units. You can have some units just call themselves progressive care. You can have telemetry units, some specialize in heart, some, some specialize in strokes, some specialize in like different things. Some are kind of med surge or med surge tele mix units. So they're not fully telemetry units, but they get a little exposure to it. So when someone says they're coming from telemetry, telemetry actually describes a service that the patient is receiving, continuous telemetry monitoring. And usually the patients who require that are patients who are generally sicker. So to say telemetry can sometimes be misleading. So if you're someone who's like, I'm bored on telemetry, this, this, and that. Well, first off, do you have your specialty certification? Do you have your PCCN? Do you have a cardiovascular nursing certification? There are different specialties that you can get to kind of help raise your bar of knowledge to see if you've met, you know, kind of board certification standards with knowledge and things like that. And as you're studying for those things and preparing for those things, it'll also open your eyes to maybe certain populations that you don't get on your unit, certain skills or treatments that you don't necessarily do on your unit. And it kind of open your eyes. It's like, oh, you know what? I haven't done this. Maybe I want to transition to another telemetry or step down unit to get this experience. If you really love telemetry, if you really love telemetry, now, if you're someone who's done all that and you're like, I'm up for the challenge, I've always wanted to work ICU, because let's be honest, some people look at ICU as like a badge of honor, a badge of courage. Like if I can go to ICU, I can work anywhere. And that's just not true. Let me say that. That's not true. And I'll tell you why in a second. But many people like the idea of working in ICU, but it ain't for everybody. Trust me, it ain't for everybody. Because you will. You totally will. You have total care patients on multiple devices, on multiple medications that require very frequent monitoring, surveillance, interventions, and treatments. And things can go very wrong very quick. And there's also a heightened sense of urgency in ICU because the patients that are there are, some are planned surgeries, they come out, you know, things like that. 
Some are in car accidents. Some have unexpected things that happen to them that warrant them to be in ICU. They've had a turn in events. They're getting sicker. They're not healing like they were supposed to and they're in ICU. So emotions are heightened. They're really heightened. So I have to say, when I worked as a critical care clinical nurse specialist, there wasn't a day I didn't come to work where somebody went crying. My office was right outside the elevators by the patient waiting area. Somebody was always crying every day. And that can be also very taxing. So this is not to poo-poo on ICU, not at all. But I'm just saying, just be aware of the environment that you're entering. Be aware of the population you're going to be taking care of. And just be aware of the demands of the job because an ICU nurse and their duties are going to be different than the telemetry nurse and their duties. So, and I'm in California, so let me use some California ratios. In California, an ICU nurse, if the patient's really, really sick, it's one-to-one. If they're sick, uh, one nurse will have can have two patients. On a telemetry unit, I think by law, they can have up to five patients, but for the most part, it's four. I think it's four or five, something like that. Five, I think it's four, actually, to be honest, for a, a true step-down unit. Sometimes step-down will go to one, one to three. Depends on the acuity of the patient, right? But those staffing, nurse staffing ratios are such to allow the nurse time to go in to do the surveillance, the monitoring, the interventions and provide all the treatments. Hey, and let's not talk about documents. Listen, you didn't like doing vital signs every four hours, baby. You, you, how about doing them every hour or sometimes more frequent if you're doing titration of drips? How about you got a continuous A-line and you got blood pressures looking at you at the face all the time, all the time. So listen, just be aware of the environment. So do your research, do your research, walk the units, talk to a couple of ICU nurses and make sure that if you're going to select ICU, that you're selecting the right type of ICU because there's different types, cardiothoracic, neuro, trauma, transplant, like burn, like there's a whole bunch of different ones. So make sure you're entering an ICU that you want to work in. Uh, now do all this before you apply because it'll provide you some insight. I also recommend people who are transitioning to ICU. Now, if you're not already, I would feel like as, par- as someone who works on telemetry, you should already be a member of the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. But if you're not, you definitely want to join before you become, you go into ICU because that is your specialty nursing organization. There's going to be tons of tips, information, networking and stuff on their website and stuff that's going to help you with information so you can help be s- successful in those areas. Okay. But let's get back to it. Experienced nurse, you're coming with a lot of skills. We appreciate you. We, we value that you're coming with the, that skill set, communication, people skills, and things like that. Um, you're not a new grad, so the new grad nervousness shouldn't be there, but you have a different type of nervousness, right? Because I think this caller said that she was excited and nervous at the same time. So it's good. It's good to be excited. And I think a little nervousness is very fair to say because you're coming onto a unit where everything's beeping. You're like, oh my gosh, what are all the different beeps? Now, an experienced nurse may know many of the beeps, not all, but know some of them. You know what an IV beep is, right? You know what a, a, a call bell beep is. You know what a fall alarm beep is, but ventilators and other devices you may need to learn. When it comes to new to specialty, for an experienced nurse entering, I would say this, you come with a lot of knowledge, strength, and information. Please come modest, open-minded, and willing to learn. Because what I have seen happen is some nurses come in overestimating. I don't let this be you. They come in overestimating their knowledge. Just because I've been a nurse for 10 years. I've been a nurse for five years. Like 
They just know it all. You can't tell them anything. Do not be that person. We all, even myself in all my 25 plus years of nursing, I have so much still to learn. Stuff is always changing. And sometimes I learn something I haven't utilized in a while, so I forget it. I haven't seen it in a while. So I got to kind of brush it off and bring myself up to speed. But I'm always open to learning. Once you close yourself off to learning from someone else, even if they are a newer nurse than you, then you will have lost. So come with an open mind and willingness to learn and a willingness to do something a little different because maybe the end goal is the same, but sometimes considering your different population and the uh, delicacy of the, the fragility of the patient, you might need to do something a little, do it a little different way. That's all. So let's hit on some thoughts here. Like with telemetry going to ICU, most telemetry nurses have taken an EKG course. Now, some of them have the luxury of having a teletech or a command center, someone else overseeing the the EKG strips and just kind of printing a strip every four hours or as abnormalities happen, this and that. The ICU nurse, for the most part, is the teletech. So please become very comfortable with reading your EKGs. Now, even if you've transitioned from tele to ICU, a good ICU transition program will reassess your strength in EKGs. Maybe there's a EKG test that you take. If you don't pass it, that's okay. doesn't mean that you're not meant for ICU. It just means you need to review, but it's good to do a checkpoint, not to say, oh, I know EKGs. And then you get in there and you can't see the third degree block that's right in front of you. Like we want to set you up for success. So we're going to rerun through some of the skills that may seem like a repeat uh, from telemetry, but they're not there. It's not to insult you. It's to ensure that you have the skills, the tools, and the confidence so you can be successful in ICU. Now, some things you're going to be able to zip through, like IVs, check, NG tube insertion, check, Foley catheter insertion, check, computer charting, check, how to deal with doctors and families, check, check, check. You know all that, right? Now, there are going to be sometimes some variations with how you'll do those things depending on your patient. So like, for example, you know how to put an NG tube in, right? Well, this might be a facial fracture patient and we can't put an NG tube in. We're going to have to do an OG tube. Or the patient, you know, they've just intubated the patient. Might as well go ahead and put that OG tube down while you have the patient there. Like there are some things that you're going to do a little bit differently, perhaps, right? Also, there's going to be some new devices. So ET tubes, ventilators, A-lines, um, you may be exposed to new medications. Now, let me say this. There are some very high-functioning step-down units that give dopamine, dobutamine, amiodarone, milrinone. I think I've seen Natricor and Nipride even on some, some step-down units. And some units take, have swans. Listen, I've worked on I've worked on a unit. I was actually overse- oversaw the education and training for a unit that had swans. It was a step-down unit. But I'll say this. There are different medications in ICU. So let me say this. If you don't give those medications that I just mentioned on your step-down unit and you're going to ICU, just be aware there are other step-down units that actually give those type of medications, probably higher acuity patients. So just putting that out there. But in ICU, you will need to become very familiar with IV medications, uh, pressors, inotropes, sedation, paralytics, uh, something else that you'll need to be uh, open to, right? Because listen, I know you know medications. I know you know how to look them up, but truly understanding the dynamics of some of these medications are key, key, key. Not like key, 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 funny, but like key, important in ICU. Also, the tracking and trending of data. Now, I know telling nurses, y'all check labs. I know you guys check labs, 
But sometimes the frequency of what how you do labs, very different in ICU. In ICU, they might be trending, uh, tracking a lab every four hours, where in your area, it might be once or maybe twice a day, right? But they're tracking and trending certain lab values. And that's very important that we get into a mode of tracking and trending as we anticipate and try to offset and cut off any potential problems that we're going to be heading towards. And it's not to say that tele-nurses don't do this, but I'm just saying for this particular situation, she asked me, she's asked, what can I do to be more successful? These are some seeds that I want to plant. So this person goes into this new specialty with an open mind and like anticipating these things. So it doesn't seem like a barrier or their, their knowledge is being insulted because like, I'm a nurse, I know lab values. Yes, but do you know lab values like this, right? So something very simple and benign, let me just put it this way, because this is something that can apply to everyone. Everyone knows a creatinine value, right? 0.5 to 1.5, we all know it gives us an idea of renal function, right? BU and creatinine, they marry together, but we look at creatinine. So we know what a normal creatinine level is. The astute ICU nurse is going to say, oh, okay, Creatinine 0.5 today. Okay, cool. Maybe they do labs in a couple hours and the creatinine is one. Doesn't sound like much, right? Do you know that the index is so narrow for that lab value that a 0.5 to a one is a significant increase in a short amount of time? Like what happened during that time where it went to one? Because if we continue on this trajectory, it's going to be 1.5. It's going to be like going higher and higher and higher. So what's happening? Now, you might feel like that's dramatic and I'm being over the top, but in ICU, you kind of got to be over the top because where else you going to go? After ICU, it's either you going down there or you going up there, right? That's the morgue, that's heaven. Like, where are we going? So I'm just saying, I just use that as an example, right? It's not like that's a troponin value or anything like a BNP, but I'm just saying to give some context to it, that narrow index really illustrates how tracking and trending Lab values and data can be very important because we're trending in a right in a certain direction. And if we don't identify what's happening, if we don't intervene, we very well could continue on that trajectory, which can be a negative thing. Uh, something else like we like to track in trends like blood pressure, right? Blood pressure, like what's quote unquote normal within normal blood pressure. Okay, it's fine. But if your blood pressure is slowly trending in the downward spiral, like for example, Let's say blood pressure on previous shift was 140s over 90s. Then for you, it's like 120s over 70s. And then it's like 101 over 67. And then it's like 94 over 50. Like you can see how we're trending downward, right? And typically when we see that, we're also seeing an increase in heart rate. So the heart rate, which may have initially started at, I don't know, 72, went up to 91, 105, 110, okay? And the patient's at rest. You gotta ask yourself, what the bejesus is happening in this patient? Blood pressure going down, heart rate going up. It's obviously a sign of something is compensating, something's happening to the patient. And so it's those slight trendings that we gotta look for. That's why people in ICU generally have a lower patient ratio so they can watch for these things, so they can intervene because something. The probability of something happening is there and they need to be available to intervene. So tracking and trending and looking, want you to look more sensitively at and more frequently at labs because that's something that we want you to be aware of. So if I can go ahead and say, and again, I can be candid because if I wasn't candid, I wouldn't be, be keeping it 100. 
I've seen some experienced nurses come in like, oh, I know labs, I know this net, but yet they don't stay on top of it. And during the course of their orientation, it was what killed them in the orientation and made them unsuccessful or have so many road bumps in the road. And it was hard for them. So sometimes, although we love experienced nurses, sometimes we would much rather have a new grad who's like slate is clean, hasn't learned any bad habits, is an open sponge and willing to learn so we can train them the right way. And when I say train them the right way, I'm talking about doing providing critical care training. Because when you're new to specialty, you still should be a part of a critical care training program. You definitely should. Whether that's ECHO, that's the computerized program that's provided by AACN, or you have an educator or someone who actually teaches live classes with you, there needs to be some formalized training that comes along with this. But it's hard with new nurses who come in with bad habits that we got to break. I'm sorry. And it's not that we don't value your experience. Again, we do, right? But sometimes, sometimes a nurse or two can get in there who unfortunately in their years of experience on a telemetry unit kind of learned some things the wrong way, kind of picked up some bad habits. And so those are the things that we want you to unlearn and learn this. So that's why I say when you come into the critical care arena and to a training program, please be open-minded. Take the opportunity to learn. Like they're giving you this information. Um, Some of it may be repeat. Some of it will be an opportunity to expand on things you know. Some of it will be things you don't know. Um, But it's really good information. And now you're looking at it from a different lens. So you may know potassium, right? You know potassium value, right? You know potassium's low. I need to give potassium. But then you'll also realize like the impact that potassium has. And, you know, what do you do when potassium's too high, right? Other than ship them off to ICU or try to give KXLA. Like there are other things that you, you'll need to do and you'll learn all of these things in your critical care training program. Something else I want to mention when you're going into ICU, there is this fear that, oh my gosh, my patient's going to crash. They're going to die. It's a very real feeling, but I will say this, as long as you operate with good intentions, you utilize the tools and skills and resources that you're provided, you will be okay. So whenever there is something you don't know, because let's say you, like, you're like you an experienced nurse, you're like, I can't say nothing. I'm supposed to know this. No, 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 no. Say what it is you don't know. We want transparency. If you, if someone says to you, and I've seen this, I tell, I've told preceptors, don't do this. Oh, you're, you're an experienced nurse. You know how to do that. Hold on. Wait a minute. Let's let's run through it just in case. I want to make sure that I know what you think I'm supposed to know. And I don't know what you think I'm supposed to know because you ain't said it. So I don't know what you think I'm supposed to know. Right? That sounded really silly because it is. You always want to validate that someone knows something. And I hate when, you know, we have checklists and sometimes the preceptors will just sit there and sign, 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 sign. And they've not really validated the information. Please, you are the person entering into ICU. I know you want to do well. You want to learn. You want to do better. You want to really know how to take care of your patient. Use this as an opportunity to look at those checklists. It's like, what am I supposed to know? How has this happened? And if you don't know it, speak up because this is the opportunity. You don't get to do orientation over again. And if you zip through it, your orientation might be actually cut shorter because, oh, you you didn't say anything on orientation. We gave you all this information. You didn't raise any questions. This is the time to ask questions, okay? But let's get back to blood pressure. So telly nurse, going to ICU. We talk about the importance of tracking and training, being open-minded. Something that I'm sure has happened on in your experience with on telemetry, but when a patient's blood pressure is tanking, you might give IV fluids. Uh, you might look to see why else their blood pressure is low, right? Maybe they're 
low H&H, maybe they need some blood, right? Those type of things. Okay, you can only do so much, right? Before the patient gets shipped off to ICU because they might need other therapies. But the ICU nurse, in the ICU, when you have a patient whose blood pressure is dropping, again, we're looking at tracking and trending data. We're looking at signs of perfusion. And we know what possible treatments are to get a blood pressure up. But we're also understanding and have a good insight of what treatment would be the best option for this patient. So for example, telemetry, well, you know, we see CHF patients everywhere. But in telemetry, a lot of CHF, congestive heart failure patients. Patient is fluid overload, fluid overload. What do we say to patients to Whose blood pressure dropping? I can't get fluids because they're fluid overloaded. Listen, they're fluid overloaded. So yes, they have heart failure. They're fluid overloaded. But guess what? The fluid is in the wrong space. The fluid has third space outside of the intravascular system into the tissues, into the lungs, into places where it's not helping perfusion. So yes, your patient has CHF, but they're going to die if we don't fix the perfusion. So sometimes your CHF patient does still need IV fluids and you have to consider how much fluids. They don't need as much fluids, but sometimes we got to give them fluids and we got to chase it with Lasix. Yes, we do, right? We do. Or sometimes, you know, they CHF patients, they need blood, but you know, you can't give the blood too fast because it's a protein. Proteins are going to draw fluids intravascularly. It's going to push them into fluid overload. So I know I got to give the blood slower and perhaps I got to give some Lasix in between the two units of blood and their CHF, right? Blood pressure is dropping. I'm going to look preload, afterload, contractility. You know, we're going to look at those things to determine what is it that's needed to bring this person's cardiac output up. Maybe they need preload because they need fluids because fluids all third space in the wrong place. Maybe it's afterload. Maybe there's I don't know, a valve that's not functioning properly. I mean, there's some aortic stenosis that's causing some issues. And so we got to think about like, what's the afterload, right? Maybe all of a sudden their blood pressure is high and we think like, oh, that's fine. But really it's actually a reaction. The body's trying to clamp down. Like there are things that we're thinking about. And then contractility. If you have a CHF patient, what is their ejection fraction? And listen, we're not just looking at ejection fraction for most people I mean, on the computer, depending on what computer system y'all have, you'll see ejection fraction and then you'll see a percentage of like, oh, 34%. Usually you could double click it and it'll open up a full report. Read the report, see what condition their heart's in. If you see the words hypokinesis, akinesis, global wall, akinesis, like that's telling you right there what's going on with the heart wall. It's not moving, right? You can determine and you can figure out if your patient has diastolic heart failure or systolic heart failure, or I guess what they're calling hef-paf, hef-ref type of things. Listen, we'll talk about heart failure in, an, in another situation in a more detailed time. But like, there's so much about heart failure that perhaps is a lot more detailed than what you were exposed to in telemetry. So that's really the overall takeout question. I'm not here to argue anatomy, physiology, as if someone doesn't know. We all learned it at one point, but the application of it in critical care is a lot more intense and needs to be taken a lot more seriously because patient literally is in the unit that handles the sickest patient. If we can't handle them there, where can they go? Okay. So as someone transitioning from telemetry to ICU, just want you to understand that to whom much is given, much is required. And there's a lot of responsibility in ICU. So just make sure that this is what you want. Because some of y'all, this ain't what you want. And it's not to discourage you. It's just like, I wish people were more honest with each other because 
I've seen some really great nurses who are great in med surge, who are great in telemetry, who are great in labor and delivery, who are great in the ER and stuff like that. And then they want to come to ICU and they realize it's just a different animal. And sometimes it's not that they didn't know the knowledge. Perhaps it's just the speed and the workflow wasn't for them in that place, or they didn't come prepared with all of this information. So when they got there, the orientation was rocky. They had a horrible experience and then they didn't want to stay or they overestimated uh, their knowledge, or maybe the person who interviewed them overestimated their knowledge and shortchanged them with some training and orientation. That sucks, which is why I created a new to specialty orientation program, because I wanted to make sure that we were not only hiring qualified ICU nurses, but we trained them and supported them so they would stay. Keyword stay. Okay. Listen, nurses will stay where they feel supported and valued and are paid well. They will. But ICU is a lot of hard work. And some people are like, you know, I'll pay, you don't pay me enough for this. You don't. My suggestions to you, my friend, if you're transitioning from, as you transition, which I know you're going to have a wonderful transition from telemetry to ICU is to be humble, to be modest, and to always be ready to learn something that will enhance something you may already know, or maybe something that's new. And please don't ever be afraid to say what it is you don't know. People may assume that you know something, but it's okay to not know it and to ask for a review. And, you know, I think with someone who's working in telemetry, it can seem like a natural progression to want to go to ICU. And that's great. I'm going to wish you the well. Uh, oh, I think I also mentioned join your specialty nursing organization and ask a lot of questions. But those are some some words of advice that I have, because if you don't do those things, um, if you don't take the orientation and training seriously, it literally can be the death of not you, but the patient. That whole fake it till you make it, not in ICU. We're not doing that in ICU. Um, you shouldn't do that anywhere in a real life clinical situation, especially when our, we're taking care of very fragile and sick people. But in ICU, definitely. I've seen some nurses who don't understand the mechanism of action for a medication, so they didn't know to stop it. Like there was a patient who was on Levofed. Um, she received the patient on, uh, I think it was four mics of Levo and the blood pressure was still low. And she was like, not knowing what to do. It's like, baby, titrate the levofed. But she didn't understand truly how the levofed worked and what it was for. And listen, that goes with anything. Anytime you're working in nursing, you should know what your patients are getting, knowing the mechanism of action and knowing what the responses you should be seeing. And when you don't see those speak up. So it's just that when, when we get into areas like ICU, it becomes blatantly obvious and we don't have time to mess around. So I think you can be very successful. Just make sure that you're, you're, you have also a good communication with your preceptor, having a good preceptor and good uh, communicating what your needs are, your questions are, is really good. Make sure you have, you take time to debrief at the top, uh, end of your shift. And then when you come back for your next shift, review at the top of your shift, how the last shift went and what some of your goals and objectives are and stay on top of that and stay in communication with your CNS and educator on the unit. And I think you'll be just fine. Okay, guys, that's great. I love sharing stuff like that because I feel like this is helping somebody. I hope it helps someone else too. Um, and in fact, because I know it will, I want you to please share this podcast with a friend, a colleague, a classmate, so anyone that you know in nursing that might be looking to transition, even if they're not transitioning from tele to ICU, but they're transitioning elsewhere. Listening to this information can be helpful to someone else. So please share. And then also, if you could kindly rate or review the podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform, I'd appreciate that. Um, rate or review it. Let me know how it's going, what you think, what you'd like to hear. If you have a question, if you 
would like us to answer your question here on the podcast, honey, we can. Let me tell you how we can do that. What you can do is you can send a text message or a voicemail to 725-910-9676. Again, that's 725-910-9676. Or you can email me at nursealice at nurse.org. And we'd be happy to take your question and answer it here on the podcast. Because we know if you have the question, other people have the same question as well. And we are here to help people. And let's do it by the masses. Help me help you and let's help one another. And thanks to nurse.org for helping us all. I really appreciate them. Without them, this podcast wouldn't be possible. So shout out to nurse.org. So guys, that's my time. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, please make good choices. Be kind to one another. And live well, my friends. Thanks for listening to Ask Nurse Alice. Visit nurse.org for nursing career, education, and community resources.